Okay, I am sure you are turned to Matthew chapter 7 by now, verses 13 and 14 today, under the title, which are the first words of the text, Enter by the Narrow Gate. I should maybe mention, I'll continue in Matthew, of course, today, and, and then uh, planning to uh, next week, and then the 17th and 24th, I will, uh, I'll do some Christmas stuff. Christmas-specific things for sermons those days, and come back to Matthew after the first of the year. Adam is preaching on the, the last Sunday of the year, the last day of the, of the year even. But today, Matthew 7, 13, and 14, which we'll read in a moment. There are not many ways to God. There are not many ways to God. There are not many roads to heaven. There are not many roads to heaven. All ways, all roads do not lead to blissful eternal life. God's love does not entail saving everyone. That Jesus is a Savior does not mean that He is everyone's Savior. There are not many ways to Jesus, and Jesus does not receive everyone and bring them to God. The truth of it is that the one who follows any other way than that laid out by Jesus Christ will perish eternally in the life to come. This is what Jesus stresses as He brings the Sermon on the Mount to a close. What Jesus says in these last verses is that everyone must choose either one or the other of only two ways. There are only two ways, two ways to live to eternal destinies. What, what the biblical authors have repeated in various ways in lockstep, what Jeremiah described, for example, the way of life and the way of death, Jeremiah 21, or what is written in the first psalm, the contrast between those who quote, walk in the counsel of the wicked, indeed the wicked, and those whose, quote, delight is in the law of the Lord or the righteous. That's it. Those are the two, the two ways of life with the two end results. And here in the remaining verses of both the Sermon on the Mount and Matthew chapter 7, Jesus presses the same point essentially with a series of four contrasting images which highlight the same binary division within humanity and eternity. There are two groups of people which encompass all people. No one is left out of these groups. That is to say, there is no third group. There is no neutral ground. And there are two gates and ways There are two trees, there are two claims, there are two builders. In each case, 
through to the end of the chapter and the sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. In each case, the choice of the one way leads to heaven. The choice of the other leads to hell. When Jesus preaches and teaches, and when we are confronted with Jesus Christ and the good news for sinners in His life, death, and resurrection, there is demanded of the hearer a choice that they need to make a verdict. What will we choose? What have we chosen? And by we, I mean you and me. Between the two gates, the two ways, and the two destinations, there are only two. In our text for this morning, Matthew 7, 13 to 14, which we'll read in about four sentences, Jesus deals with the first of the contrasts, that there are two gates, there are two ways. And one leads to Jesus and to eternal life with God. How many choose it? Will the text say? Have you chosen it? And the other gate, the other way, it leads to eternal destruction. And how many choose this one, does the text say? And how about you? There's no bigger issue for a human than this. No bigger question, no bigger decision than what to do with Jesus the Christ, with the gospel of Jesus Christ, with our eternity. Well, let's ask the Lord's blessing before we read the text, and then we'll, we'll work through it. Father, thank You for Your Word and this warning and call and command to enter by through the narrow gate. Our eternities are at stake for, for each one of us who hears. So affirm salvation in those who have been born again by Your grace and convict of sin those who have yet to come to Christ. May we all see Christ as glorious and we needful of Him that You may be praised and glorified even now as we consider these words of, of His. And it's in His name we pray. Amen. Okay, you know the text. Here it is. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. That's God's Word, the holy and inerrant Word of God. Uh, three points today. The third one is the conclusion. I'll give you prompts and gather you up if you've lost the way uh, along the way. Point one, verse 13, the command and the warning. The command and the warning. 
are contained in verse 13. The command and the warning. So first here, the command, which is also an exhortation and an invitation. But don't miss that it's spoken as a straightforward command. Enter by the narrow gate. Enter through the narrow gate. You must. It's not foreign to see Jesus command belief, uh, command coming to him. The, Mark's beginning, uh, Mark's beginning. Jesus came preaching, quote, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. A command now. Repent and believe in the gospel. That's a command. God commands men everywhere to repent and believe. We are, in fact, commanded by God to come to His Son, to accept Him, to look to Him, to receive Him, to put our trust in Him as our Savior and Lord and Him alone. And Jesus has, of course, been moving to this point through the whole sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, to this point, this appeal, this command from God. He gives the call to decide now about becoming a citizen of God's kingdom and inheriting eternal life or or remaining a citizen of this fallen world and receiving damnation. The way to life is on God's terms alone. He is the creator and the king of all things. The way to damnation is on any terms you want. Because every way but God's leads to the same fate. Apart from Christ, stay where you are, and you have chosen to remain in your rebellion against God, rejecting His rule, rejecting His Son, even if in your indifference. As John wrote 20 verses after the famous John 3.16, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey this is faith, belief, obedience. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains. Remains. It is, was, and now it remains on the one who rejects Christ. And yet it is a choice, a real choice. You must exercise your will to come to Him, to enter the kingdom or not, to come to Christ or not. It is an inevitable, unavoidable, universal choice we all must make or will make or have made. There is no escaping it. A crossroads where we must decide on the gate we will enter and the way we will go. And each of those has a destination, and there are also only two. And this kingdom, this Jesus, this gate, this way, it must be entered. It must be entered. You must enter it. It isn't enough merely to listen to preaching about this gate or to study its architecture and to hang out around this gate. 
becoming very familiar with it. Oh, yeah, I know about the gate. It's like this, and it's like that, and it isn't like this, and have detailed conversations about it. But without ever entering it, it must be entered. That means that everyone who comes under the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ must make a personal decision of the mind, heart, and will to enter this gate. That is, to come to Christ and live or remain where you are, which is on the other way, with God's wrath remaining on you, as we saw John write. Enter by the narrow gate. The rest of 13 added to it. For the other of the two gates is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction and those who enter by it are many. So if it's not clear by now, the metaphor Jesus employs here is straightforward enough, isn't it? Simple enough. It's binary. We are to picture two paths, two roadways. The first way or, or path is wide and its gate is wide, broad, accommodating, easy, no judgment. All, everything you want to take with fits through, the, fits through the gate. No expectations, lots of affirmation, do whatever you want, do whatever you want, anything goes, bring whatever you like, collect whatever you like, keep whatever you like, in this life, believe whatever you like. It's very well traveled this way, and, and by far most choose it for all of these reasons. It's very inviting. The wide way, this broad road, is the way of the world in rebellion against God, a way which accepts any pattern of life, any beliefs, any convictions, any behavior. Is it any wonder why it's so attractive to most of us? The problem, of course, is that it's going somewhere. The final destination of this way, Jesus says, is eternal destruction. Destruction. This should be what is in the minds of humans as they contemplate what kind of life they want to live. That is, we should be thinking about the fact that we are going to die one day, and then what? Eternity? Yes, eternity. You would wish for annihilation. God has put eternity into man's heart. But instead, otherwise reasonable and responsible and even upstanding citizens become so attracted to and mesmerized by the spaciousness and the popularity of this wide way that they rarely even ever consider where it's heading, right? Its ultimate and inevitable destination. And even if they should hear now and then that it leads to destruction, they will deny it, arguing that they are no worse than most others on the same way and better than that guy over there and and that in any case, the loving God would not allow the destruction of so many as you say Jesus described. 
That can't be right. God is love. That is, if such a person considers at all what they hear. But here we are, left with these uncompromising, clear words of Jesus, who himself insists that only one of the two ways leads to blessed eternal life. And it isn't the wide gate and the easy way, the one which many, most, choose. And to that singular way we turn now, point two. Verse 14, the other option that He's already commanded us to enter through or by, verse 14 reads, for the gate is narrow. The four, I think, explaining why the the, the many take the other one. For the gate is narrow. Confining. Can't take it everything I want. And the way is hard. Hmm. That leads to life. And those who find it, it has to be found. Those who find it are few. Hmm. The gate is narrow. What is this singular gate? What is this one way so confining and narrow that leads to life? This road that's hard. It's all one thing. It's all one person. It's Jesus. Jesus said elsewhere, John 14, I am the door, the gate. If anyone enters by me, through me, he will be saved. That's John 10. John 14 is actually this. He said, I am the way. I am the way. He's the gate or the door, and he's the way. That whole thing is him. He said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. These verses clearly then shed light on on what Jesus means in our text, Matthew 7. That is, they show that Jesus was speaking of faith in Himself, coming to Him, coming through Him to God the Father. The only way, the only way to be saved. This is called the exclusivity of Jesus Christ. There's one way. It's Him. And that's it. But praise God, there is a way at all. There should, if you will, be no way at all if we were to ask for what we deserve, if we were to ask for justice. There's no way then. But all who come to Jesus and through Jesus they get not justice what do they get grace and no one gets injustice with God I'm effectively quoting R.C. Sproul I think is where I learned that way of talking 
You can't come through nature. You can't come through anything created or through contemplating it or hugging it. (laughs) Tree. You can't come through mere religion or religious practice or practices or, or piles of good works or by merely striving morally. And there are not multiple gates or ways, but there is a way, one way, one gate, graciously provided for sinners when all we deserve again from our Creator is judgment and condemnation and eternal destruction. And yet there is a way. The way is Jesus. You and I have sinned against God, and even one sin is cosmic treason, I have R.C. Sproul on the brain, I guess. Maybe it's a series, Holy, Holiness of God, but that's R.C. Sproul too. Cosmic treason. Even one sin is cosmic treason against the infinitely worthy and holy God. And not only does sin require judgment, it also keeps us from God. And unless sin is dealt with, removed from us, and paid for entirely, we will never get into God's kingdom, into heaven. We will never be saved. There's nothing you can do about this in and of yourself, from inside of you. What's the solution? The solution is that God provided Jesus Christ as a Savior for sinners. He sent His Son to save His people from their sins, living a perfect life under the law so that there could now be a a perfect holiness, righteousness given to those who trust in Jesus Christ alone covering them, and then also dying a death in their place, in the place of these sinners, the great exchange. We get His righteousness. He takes our sins. He had no sins of His own, a perfectly fitting substitute, taking upon Himself the wrath of God the Father instead of it being poured out on you, which it will be if you don't come through the narrow gate. And God will not punish the same sin twice. Therefore, if you will believe that Jesus died for you, if you will acknowledge Him as your substitute and your righteousness and Him alone, then God will remove your sin forever. And it will be correct to say that you have passed through the gate, the narrow gate, into salvation. Those who go to hell who are justly sent to hell, they'll, they'll pay for their sins there forever, starting with particularly the sin of not obeying Christ's command to come. Those who do not obey, the wrath of God remains. But say you come through the gate, the narrow gate, and you find it, you find it and you come through it, which many of you have. Jesus says it's hard. It's hard. It, it leads, it's this hard way. It's not wide and easy and accommodating and friendly and non-judgmental and affirming and everything, all of your sin. It's hard. 
For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. That word hard, it's a word for tribulation. And almost always it refers to persecution. So this text says that the way of Christ, the way of following Christ, the way of the true Christian is narrow. It's restricting, hard, because it's the way of persecution and opposition. Compare Acts 14.22, for example. We could grab several of these, but just one, quote, through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And pursuing righteousness and obedience and fighting against sin, indwelling sin, which clings so close, and against Satan and the ways of the world. It isn't easy, is it? It's hard. Being poor in spirit is not easy. Humbling yourself, preaching truth to your heart is not easy. Being a peacemaker is not easy. Forgiving others for sinning against us. That can be really hard. Prayer is often not easy. It's not easy to get to it. Righteousness is not easy. God-centered affections, attitudes are not easily achieved and maintained. Turning from clinging to the things of this world and putting our hope in them, those constant temptations, that's not easy. And so on and so forth. In fact, these things are impossible for us apart from God's grace and and His Spirit working within us. Those things are the things to which we're called, are alien to our our, uh, flesh. And therefore, the the realignment and the reformation and the the recalibration and, and the repenting as we go that is part and parcel of genuine conversion is also a a restricting thing, a confining thing, a hard thing. There's no room on this way either, by the way, for me to set my opinion against God's, to, to quibble with His Word and will. No room to negotiate terms. No room to set goals in any way at cross-purposes to His let alone asking Him to bless things that are not His ways and will. How dare we? We're on the narrow way. We're on the hard way. We're on His way. And no room to form attachments which would steal from God, from God holding the central and top spot. We cannot serve two masters, hasn't He said? The gate is narrow and the way is hard. Is that what you want to hear about Christianity? (laughs) The Western church, the American church, has to a great degree gotten out of step with Jesus on this, which is why it sounds foreign maybe even to you to some degree. Like, ease up, buddy. Jeez. To Jesus or to me. Like, it's just two verses. Let's just move on to something about love or something. Parts of the gospel are often preached, but it's 
too often these days made to sound easy to become a Christian and get saved and easy to be a Christian. All you have to do is fill in the blank. Sign this card. And Jesus will affirm you and meet you where you are and not ask you to change and help you manage your life. Oh, is that, does that sound like the gate is narrow and the way is hard? Jesus doesn't make it sound easy, does He? This is an important word for you, professing Christian. If you are drifting along in your religiosity, it's going through the motions, unengaged in heart or mind or both, don't assume you are on the way to life unless you're actually actively trusting in Jesus Christ, pursuing Him and knowledge of Him and life with Him in obedience and repentance. That's why I say repenting as we go so much. Jesus simply didn't teach that it would be easy to become a Christian and and to be a Christian. Even the gate is hard to find. It's hard to find. I suspect partly due to the fact that we aren't looking for it in our flesh. No one seeks God. No, not one. Right? Apart from the Spirit moving in us. Now, Or let me say an additional thing here, lest someone misunderstand that that because becoming a Christian and being a Christian involves only a narrow gate and, and a hard way of difficulty, that the Christian life is all doom and gloom and difficulty. That doesn't sound appealing. Someone might say, well... It is still all of that, but there is a whole spectrum of joys and comforts and freedoms for the Christian. You know that, you, you brothers and sisters, you know that. The deepest joy is joy in personally knowing God through Christ. To have that settled, to have assurance that when you die, you will be welcomed into God's eternal presence because by His grace, you have been welcomed into His forever family. You've come through the narrow gate. There is the liberty of sins forgiven and of progressive triumph over temptation. There are new connections and new purposes within the church, the body of Christ, people you never would have met otherwise, people who you'll be with forever, all who believe. There is the simple reality that submitting to God in Christ with your mind and will and ways, that everything makes more sense. You're in God's wheelhouse, as I say sometimes. Everything makes more sense. Only God and His Word and His Spirit make sense of God's world and us and why it's all broken and what our purpose is and what will come of me and all of this. And there is the profound reality that in our suffering and in our loss and contemplating death that we can have a peace which passes all understanding. 
because we know that God has His good purposes and that no matter what happens to us, our best days are ahead of us because of Jesus, because of God's promises to us, which are all yes in Jesus. So when I visit Brian and Laura yesterday morning, that's what we talked about. If you want to know, that's what we went over and rejoiced through tears, that it's all true. And where would we be if it wasn't? And consider this. It is actually an illusion to believe that if a person were to stay in rejection, rejection of or indifference to Christ, that therefore somehow their life will not eventually be visited by hardship, suffering, loss, and inevitably death. That's an illusion. You don't, you don't pick the way, the, the wide way, and then avoid those things. Oh, they're coming, and, and surely death. That's an illusion, a lie, a fairy tale. But for the Christian, so much so is it true that our best days are ahead of us, no matter what, and that there is a great reward and inheritance awaiting us, and even many blessings now, that Jesus said to His disciples, which caused us to turn our head a little bit like, hmm, that's wow. Mark 10, quote, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house. So listen, hard way, hard way. There is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. And yet, it is a narrow gate and a hard way. He said just there, with persecutions, didn't he? And few find it. Those who find it are few. It remains a fact that the hard way never wins popularity contests. This is, is true partly just because the, uh, the high demand, full-throated perfection demanded by the Sermon on the Mount alone, righteousness, is just too demanding to be universally attractive to a race that prefers to be their own kings and who love compromise and all manner of sins. It's, it's why even, even a so-called liberal Christianity has twisted and perverted the Sermon on the Mount to just be about being morally good and not about heaven and sin and anything, salvation. They're on the wide way too. And even further, Christianity's concern for truth is so great that it certainly requires its followers, its adherents, real Christians, to be concerned for truth and to grow in identifying false teaching and falsehoods and to be intolerant of it themselves. Oh, that's not popular. Can we just keep our hands clean and our necks out of this? Well, be careful, Christian. 
And that's particularly difficult in an age which champions each person having their own truth and the embrace of every kind of lie and falsehood imaginable. Even the church has caved significantly on this in these days, but it's always been hard to love and to be shaped by and to stand for the truth that is since the fall. So the way of Christ, the way of salvation, it's always been unpopular. Therefore, in God's design, God's people have always been a remnant. You know that word from throughout the Bible? A small minority in this world, few find it. Repentance, faith in Christ, holiness of life, submitting ourselves to God in Christ, those things have never been fashionable. Oh, they might have been more or less socially acceptable for the last decades, but you know and I know how quickly that's changing. The true flock of Christ has always been small. The true flock of Christ has always been small. You didn't believe that 80% of Americans are actually Christians, did you? You never believed that, did you? <laughs> That's never been true. Well, people will say things, and check boxes on quizzes and surveys. Even that number now is dropping like a rock. We must not mind if we are alone or in the minority, significantly so. We must not mind if we are thought peculiar, narrow-minded. And we must not mind being falsely accused of being hateful, homophobic, and bigoted. This is the hard way, the hard path which leads to life eternal with God. And surely it is better to enter into blessed eternal life with just a few, just a few, than to go to hell with a crowd. So there is a test here. Did your profession of faith in Christ cost you anything? Did anything change? your purpose, your commitments, what you did and do with your mind and your heart and your attention, your money, perhaps even your possessions and career and goals. If not, then you need to be warned. You might not possess a true profession. You might not have entered the narrow gate at all. You might be on the wide way Many people who profess to trust Jesus Christ never leave the wide way with its appetites and associations. That's how you get to 80% of people in America, for example, over the last 50 years, thinking they're Christians, saying they're Christians. Ask them what they believe now about the Bible, about the Trinity, about Christ, about the deity of Christ. They have an easy quote-unquote, Christianity that makes little or no demands on them, and they have forced this, quote-unquote, Christianity into the pattern of their lives and their wants and their convictions and their prior commitments. But Jesus said that the gate is narrow and the way is hard. So 
did your profession of faith in Christ cost you anything? Is it now? We can't walk on two roads any more than we can serve two masters. And only one of them leads to eternal life with God. And so, to conclude, and point three, to conclude with point three, the decision we all face, the decision we all face. Jesus has made the options crystal clear, take the easy way and find eternal destruction or walk the difficult path through the narrow gate and attain true life. He commands, enter by the narrow gate. Now is the time of decision, and Jesus wants us to realize that the seriousness of our choices and the shortness of our time, the path to God is narrow and hazardous, but it's the only path to take if you want to save your life and enter heaven. There is no drifting into heaven. You must find the narrow gate, and you must walk the hard way. There's no drifting into heaven. You can't inherit salvation from your parents. You, you can't be saved by being born in a certain nation, which some will say is a Christian nation. Well, then I'm a Christian. No, you're not. Not necessarily. No one is automatically a Christian due to no choice or effort on their part. And there is, again, no neutral ground. You cannot be neutral since Jesus teaches that you are either on one way or the other. If you are to become a believer, if you are to be saved, you must make a decision. No one else can settle the matter for you. You must find the narrow gate. And you must enter through it and onto the hard way and walk it. Jesus insists on this. And we can definitely take His word for it. Without finding the narrow gate and entering upon the hard way, without coming to Jesus Christ, there is nothing to look forward for you except eternal destruction. And, and death could be just around the corner for you. Life is so fragile, isn't it? I pray that you yourself will be one of the few who find the narrow gate and walk on the hard way which leads to life, all by God's grace. And if you do this day, then come and welcome to Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word. We are confronted with these words. And if by Your grace we believe, we are comforted by them, but also encouraged to examine ourselves. And if we know we, we haven't come to Christ, if we know that we don't have our trust aimed at Him entirely, located directly upon Him and His finished work. We know we're in danger, and we pray, Father, that You would give repentance and faith 
and, and save. Show, the, show that narrow gate, that door which is Jesus. Show our needfulness of Him and, and work in mind and heart and will to come to Him to save. We've seen you do this. We know you do this. We know you love to do this. We know you are a Savior who loves to save, and yet we hear that few are chosen, few come through the narrow gate. And so we pray that you would move. Father, all praise to you for a way of salvation at all. And as we move towards communion now, help us to focus on it, help us to focus on the... the um, the cost that has been paid. Help us to be sorrowful at the great cost, but rejoicing that it has been paid for all who look to Him. And it's in His name, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.